Isaiah, the 49th chapter and the 16th verse, and we will comment on that in just a minute. I want to welcome our Facebook friends, all of the podcast uh, recipients of this message. You can receive this message in CD and soon DVD form. I want to thank you for sowing in the Ministries of Harvest. Our DVD camera died and went somewhere. Not sure where it went. And we're trying to accumulate money. It's about, what, about $2,500, Austin, for one to, that does a, How many's missed our DVDs? You've not been able to see some of the uh, three of us good. Okay, and three, but that's $750 apiece. We'll raise that $2,500 just like that and have absolutely no challenges. Guests, thank you so much for being with us today. We're glad that you're here, and we hope that this this message today will minister unto you. Uh, we had some fun this this past week out at the ranch, and the guys were – we were – we were joking around, and we were and we were just visiting and fellowshipping. And so the guys asked me, he said, well, what, what do you preach on Sunday morning? I said, well, what would you like me to preach on Sunday morning? And so uh, one, of our, one of our disciples came up with the thought, tattoos and scars. Why don't you preach on tattoos and scars Sunday morning? Well, what the guys don't know is that several years ago when I traveled with different guys, I would go preach, and I would take four or five guys with me. And on the way to the church, I would let every guy come up with a saying. Or, or a slogan or something, and somewhere in the sermon, I would use that little statement or that. I, I, they may say, say something like, the cow jumped over the moon, but somehow I managed to use every one of those. And if I did, then they had to buy me Taco Bell. If I didn't, I had to buy them Taco Bell. I never bought them Taco Bell. I always had the ability to work it in. So this morning, for a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about, not Taco Bell, but tattoos and scars. And I know there's been a lot of uh, controversy always in, in, in the church world about tattoos. Are tattoos okay? Or is it okay to get a tattoo? How old should you be before you have a tattoo? Are you sure you really want to have a tattoo? And last night in research, I, 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 we did some study with Daystar, and I'll share about that with you in a minute. And then I went to uh, uh, Inc., L.A. Inc., uh, Kate Von D., and I watched as some of the uh, superstars, some rock stars, and some, some, some. Uh, actually, one of the Baldwin, Stephen Baldwin. I watched actually four people get tattoos, and I was, I was kind of just watching to see why they got a tattoo. One band had a number one country song, and so they decided to, to all get kind of tattoos that kind of corroborated their success. Uh, Steve Baldwin had a had a tattoo of a, of a, of a kid kind of leaning on his fist and had, it was always Steve Baldwin as a child, put that on his arm. Then someone put a, put a picture of their, of their, of their little, little daughter on their leg. And then, and then I think one was a, a skull and had some different stuff around it. And it was a great big gigantic. And it was a, it was a, it was a piece of art. And so I, I didn't realize that as I was going from one frame to another, I accidentally pushed, I like this post. I pushed, I like this book. Well, that would have been so bad if I'd have been on my Facebook, but I was on Pastor Ron's Facebook. So immediately, I mean, I think there are Facebook ministry fanatics out there. They just watch Facebook, and anytime something posts it, they don't like or agree with or want to make a comment. They immediately, I mean, that is scary. I hope you have more to do than just sit around with the computer open waiting for something to happen on Facebook. But anyway, I got, she immediately she immediately got a post, you know, be careful what you like. You know, this does not sound like you. And so I told Danette, I said, Danette, type this. Hey, this is Hank, and I'm working on. And Pastor Ron said, no, don't do anything. Just delete it. I didn't want to delete it. I wanted to fuss. I wanted to fight. I wanted to get something going here, and I want to let them. But it didn't happen. It did, it did not go down. 
when I was about 19 years old, I was a pot-smoking, beer-drinking, Harley-Davidson-riding punk. I was a punk, and I hung out with punks. But we thought we were tough. We thought we were bad. We put our arms together. You lay a cigarette between your arm and see who can stand there the longest. I mean, how stupid is that? Hello. But, but that was stuff that we did because we thought we were cool. There was a place in Long Beach, California called Pacific Ocean Park, and it was nicknamed the Pike. The Pike was a very, very rowdy place. It was a carnival, all the stuff that you see at carnivals to the worst. Mike, do you remember the Pike? To the very worst degree. This was a bad place. This is where bad people went. This is not where children went. This is, you, you didn't go there if you didn't want to get in a fight or get in trouble. But they had a tattoo specialist there, so we all thought we were tough, and we got ourselves ready for the journey, and we were going to have tattooed on the bottom of our, on the bottom of our heel, born to be wild. We just thought that would be a cool tattoo. I mean, nobody would ever see it, but there it was. We were going to do it. So we all went. I think we flipped the coin to see who went first. Well, the guy that went first, when they took that needle and started applying that needle, that, that, that guy's palm or, or heel, we realized he wasn't tough at all. He was a wimp. He was a wuss. He began to scream. He began to holler. So all of us aborted that idea. And so today, I do not have Born to be Wild tattooed on, on my foot. But I've, I've been watching in some of, our, some of our movies that Hollywood has produced. There's been some fun things that's happened with tattoos. Notting Hill. I don't know if you remember the story. He's in a bookstore. He runs a bookstore. And across the road, there's a guy by the name of, I don't know what his name is, Leonard or something. But he woke up with a great big tattoo that says, I love Bob. He has no idea how that tattoo got there. Robin Williams, John Travolta in the movie, um, the old old dogs. Uh, he he got free he got free somehow. So he wanted to tattoo freedom on his chest. Well, then the Bahamas doing it, and they messed up and tattooed Freedmon instead of freedom. Freedmon. And then I think I think probably one of the ones we all know about. Jimmy Buffett got wasted away in Margaritaville. Woke up with a Mexican cutie, a real beauty. How it got there, he hasn't a clue. Are you with me? So we see that we see that tattoos have been have been around a while. Uh, yesterday, yesterday evening in uh, in Shane's Rib Shack, there was a girl that had a obviously a cover up tattoo, but underneath the tattoo you could see the word Eric. And I said, Hey, I like your ink. It's a great it's a great way to open a door to to invite somebody to the house. I got to say, Hey, I like your ink. I said, I said, Let me ask you a question. If you had to do it all over again, would you do that? She said, No. He was a loser. And I don't know why I tattooed his name on my on my on my back. And in prison, you'll you'll learn that there are a lot of guys that really don't have a whole lot to do in prison, and a lot of guys get really involved in ink. And I have learned that you can take a CD player, take it apart, take take the motor, take an eraser, and stick the stick the stick the eraser on the end of the motor. Take a guitar string and bend the car guitar string around and hook it to the eraser and plug the motor in, and you have a homemade Tattoo gun. How many knows that? I've, oh, hey, I'm, I'm, this is an educated congregation this morning. I'm, I'm so impressed. This is not, this is not something that, that I want to do. I mean, have I entertained the idea of getting a tattoo? Absolutely. Has Pastor Rhonda authorized it? Absolutely. When I'm, I think I'm 78, she said I could have a tattoo. But Courtney and I, Courtney and I have decided that we want to tattoo the Tetragrammaton, how many, you don't know what that is, you don't know what that is, the Tetragrammaton, that is the unspeakable name of God. God is going to introduce himself in a little while, and we'll talk about that introduction in a minute. But uh, as, as many of you know, Courtney had open heart surgery when she was 10, 10 weeks old. 
10 weeks old, and the, 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 the process, literally, they, they cut her from her neck to her tummy, opened up her chest, and actually removed her heart from her, moved, kept her heart hooked up, but took her heart out of her body and cut from her heart some material and made a straw. And that straw, they plugged in the top of her heart and brought it around to the bottom of her heart. She actually has three heartbeats. Her heart does not go dun-dun, dun-dun. Her heart goes da-da-da, like Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Father, Son, and how cool is that? When she was three, when she was three, Courtney, what, what is that scar in your chest? She said, that's where Jesus took my old heart out and put a new heart in. And aren't you glad that you've been to a place called Calvary? And that old heart, that old ugly heart has been renewed. A new heart has been restored in us. So we, we, have, we have considered the, the unspeakable name of God. The, Bible, the, the book of Josephus, how many knows who Josephus is? Josephus lived about 35 years after the death of Christ and resurrection of Christ. In the book of Josephus, it says this, a prophet from Nazareth, learned how to say the name of God correctly, and by saying that name, he performed great miracles. And Josephus was referring to Jesus. The unspeakable name of God has no vowels. It's just made up of four letters, Y-H-W-H, and that's where we get the, the word Yehovah or Jehovah. But it was, it was a name that when the scribes were, were translating the books of Moses, the five books in the book of Job and the book of Psalms he wrote, anytime they came up to the Tetragrammaton, they had to back off. They couldn't write it. And they went and got the priest. The priest washed his hands and his feet seven times. He went into where the scroll had laid down the quill, and then he would write the name of God. Then he would step back. He would wash his hands again seven times, and he was unclean, could not be touched in the camp for a day. That's how powerful, that's how much That's how much authority and how much reverence the Jewish people had for the Tetragrammaton. When Jesus was crucified at Calvary, Pilate wrote the initials, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And when he wrote that, it was YHWH. So the Tetragrammaton of God was attached to the cross of Jesus. And the Pharisees got so angry and said, change what you have written. But, but the name of God from creation to the revelation was nailed to that cross and all the sins of mankind yesterday, today, and tomorrow were nailed to that cross. And aren't you glad that there's a name above every name that we submit to that name and we love that name. And so we intend, Courtney <coughs> intends to have the Tetragrammaton right here in her wrist. And I'm going to do it right here on my heart. It's amazing how many doors that open through a tattoo. Uh, if you're in prison and you have a lightning bolt, it probably means that you're involved in a murder. You actually either helped or you participated or something happened. Uh, if you're in prison and you have a swastika, you're probably uh, part of the L, the LNR, which is the lowrider Nazi rule. It's one of the uh, cruelest gangs in prison. It's, it's, it's a gang that, that if you don't do it, they say they will kill you. And I know two lowrider Nazi rules, and one of them works at a car wash here in the uh, city, and if you're ever around him at all, uh, he, he, uh, he's mad at everybody, he's mad at everything, he has, has written out, had to completely uh, F the world right here across his forehead, and then I have another friend that has the word hated tattooed on his back, but aren't, don't you wish that somehow, some way, we could get in prison, let them know they're not hated, that the world is a place that they can be blessed. There is a God that loves them no matter how bad they are, no matter what place they get to. God can come to where they're at and heal them, restore them. And I think that's the ministry of the church, that we have got to go into the prisons of America and make a difference. Can I tell you what Church of the Harvest has done? 
There are seven prisons right now in the nation that all of Judy Jacobs, all of Perry Stone, and some of Mike Margaret's product is in those prisons, and they will be there till they rot. That we put that we put that in their library. That any convict can go into the prison, check out any one of those books, and grow. I mean, how cool is that? Perry and I went to a prison a few months ago. We ministered. And most of the guys in there wanted Perry to autograph something. Nobody asked for my autograph. I don't know what that was all about. But they wanted, he was autographed their ball cap, their socks, their hands. They were, because because the word of God makes a difference. Anywhere it's shared, it makes a difference in life. And give the Lord a hand clap of praise for the, for the word that he has given us, allowed us to walk in and to be blessed. On my, on my uh, Facebook last night, I put tattoos and scars come at 10 o'clock. And then I ask the question, does God have a tattoo? Does God have a tattoo? I found in Revelation, the third chapter, that the church of Philadelphia, which is us, the church of brotherly love, the Bible says if we continue to pursue what we're supposed to pursue, that God will come and he will write three things on us. Are you ready? He'll write the name of God, the name of the new Jerusalem, and the name of Christ that no one will know until he comes riding that white horse coming back in the clouds of glory. So there is a church that God wants to spiritually write things on their heart. If you look at Isaiah 49 and 16, are you there? The question is asked, did you think that I, that I, that I, forsake, that I forsook you? Did you think that I had forgotten me? Watch this, verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget. I will not forget you. Aren't you glad today that God has not forgotten you? God knows you. God loves you. And notice what he says. I have engraved you on the palm of my hand. May I tell you, if God has a wallet, your picture's in it. And may I tell you that every time that God lifts up his hand in power, your name is right there attached to the greatness of God, the name of God, that all that God is and all that God has, he wants you to be, he wants you to have, that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Everything that God promised Jesus when he sat down at the right hand of the Father has been promised to us. Does that excite anybody in this house? Does God have a tattoo? Absolutely. He has your name tattooed on his hand. In Revelation, I believe, 14 and 1, God's going to raise up 144,000 Jews during the Great Tribulation. They're going to preach revival that's going to rock the world. And the Bible says that these Jews are going to have, are you ready for this? The name of God written on their forehead. So not only is there an army, not only is there an army that's going to have the name of God written on the forehead, but there's an army right now in this house today that has the name of God written on their heart. You say, Pastor Hank, can you prove that? I believe that I can. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 3, the Bible says there's a letter of Christ written not in ink, but written on our heart. Does that excite anybody today that you are the reflection of Jesus Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory? In him we live and move and have our being, but in us he lives, he moves, he has his being. Does that excite anybody in the house? That No, a letter has been engraved on your heart that you're to share the things of God, the love of God, for out of the, the abundance of the the mouth for as he thinketh in his so is he if we confess our sins or confess what god wants us to have and really believe what we're confessing it will come to pass there are seasons that are coming to closure in this building today today i believe the the spirit of sickness for tiffany and debbie is coming to closure today do i get a witness do i get anybody that would agree with me in jesus name this attack that's come against Mike and Carol, 
I declare it ends today. This season comes to closure today that the enemy is so confused he doesn't know who to go home with, and he'll just be out there somewhere running around a bunch of pigs or whatever. There's a bunch of deer across the woods. They, all the demons go in there and hang out with the deer because I intend to kill them next week. So there you have it. Aren't you, aren't you, don't you thank God for the seasons of our life that God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. I believe that the complete restoration is coming to Jackie's back. He's got, he got two strained vertebrae. I believe, I believe he's going to be healed. I believe he's going to be restored. David, I believe God is restoring right now in your body as the word of God goes forth and the word of God is written in your heart. I believe that that, 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 that word that's written in your heart has the ability to say this body was created by the most high and it will come in line with the word of God. In a moment, we're going to talk about the scars of Calvary. And as, as we, as we pursued in Courtney's surgery, and I've shared with this with some of you, but as we, as we went to get ready for surgery, because there was such a scare of AIDS uh, 24 years ago, we provided, we provided the blood for Courtney's surgery. Kind of, I don't think it's done today, but it was done then. Pastor Rodney gave blood. Her parents gave blood. My parents gave blood. A family friend gave blood. I was disqualified. I could not give blood because of, of needle use earlier in life and so and so being disqualified i felt a little discouraged a little frustrated i spent some time with the doctor and, and we were visiting back and forth and obviously this doctor was a genius he didn't go to college eight years i think he went to college 12 years and he was the one that took her heart out of her body and, and did all of this this uh restoration while the while her body's on on life support and i said something about it i said that i i, I appreciate what you've done for my family and he said, well, he said, I, you know, I appreciate your compliments. He says, but really, there are only 39 major diseases in the world and uh, that we can determine what is wrong with the body by taking a sample of the blood. I said, would you say that again? He said, there are only 39 major diseases. Every, every disease comes from one of 39, and we take a sample of the blood. Well, the Bible says, all life is in the blood. I've given it on the altar to make atonement, a covering for your, for your soul. Aren't you glad this morning that whatever's wrong with you, you may not be able to spell it. You may not be able to pronounce it. You may tell where it came from. But when you lay yourself upon the altar, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and that blood heals and restores. I got excited as a doctor. How, how unusual that, that 2,000 years ago that Jesus Christ was tied to a stake. And the law said forward, you got to understand the, the uniqueness of this miracle. It was the, Roman, the Romans could persecute a Jew, punish a Jew, 40 stripes. Most of the Romans, when they went to punish a Jew, they usually became intoxicated, and they got so carried away that they beat their, their prisoner more than 40, and sometimes it would kill them. If you've seen the past, you can see it's a life-threatening torture. And because they, they would go over 40, there was another law that came down from the Sanhedrin that said if a Roman gave a Jew one more stripe than 40, he was tied to the post and 40 plus stripes were, were applied to him. So the Romans came up with, a, with, a, with some guidelines to make sure that they didn't over, over count. They said 40 save one. It's supposed to have been 40, but that save one brought it to 39, that there is no disease upon the face of the earth that one of those stripes was not applied, and the stars are still on the back of Jesus Christ today that our healing comes to his scars. Does that excite anybody in the place? We were talking a little bit. I knew that would fall out. I love these glasses too, Pastor Ronnie. They're only a dollar at the dollar store. They're kind of cool. Kind of. I, I shut my right eye and look with my Thank you. Can I do it, Pastor Rhonda? Thank you. I believe that 
I believe that I can do it. I wanted wanted to uh, comment on, a little bit on how the uh, how the how the name how the name of God applies to us today. The um, God used Joseph to bring seventy people into the land of Egypt during the time of famine. His dad, cousins, aunts, uncles, brothers, a total of 70, 70 people. They go into the land of promise. They're given the land of Goshen. That was a very fertile valley. It was a great place to live. And you know, when the, when the plagues came against Egypt, none of those plagues touched the land of Goshen. There was a hedge built around that valley. And these Jews, in 400 years, went from 70 to over 4 million. I can, sh I can document and show you that there was a standing army of 603,000 men that were a part of this army that God used to take back what the enemy had stolen. And as, as Pharaoh loves Joseph, makes him number two in the, in, in the entire world, world joseph had the ability through barter to purchase the world people would come to buy food and he would buy nations joseph bought nations egypt at that time ruled the world a new pharaoh pharaoh dies joseph dies a new pharaoh comes on the scene and he sees the power of this of this church and he sees the he sees what they're doing and he makes the statement these people are mightier than we are and that's a very interesting word that word mightier that word mightier means bonded. It means in unity. It means in fellowship. In other words, the, the people of Joseph or the people of Abraham, the people of Jacob were united. They were bonded. They, they, they were together. They worshiped the same God. They had the same sacrifices. They, 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 they all partook of that together. And Pharaoh said, there's something that we need to do. We need to treat these people justly. And the world's way of treating them justly was to make them all slaves. And the whole, the whole nation of, of God became slaves. And for four, 400 years, they were in bondage. They were beaten. They were broken. God raises up a young man by the name of Moses. At that time, all the male babies were being murdered out of the womb. The, the baby born, the male child were, was thrown into the river. The crocodiles got so large. And if you read the book of Job, the 49th, 39th chapter, you'll find the word Leviathan, which refers to crocodile. The crocodiles got so large feeding upon the offspring of God. God got an attitude. God raised up a Moses. The word Moses means drawn out, incomplete. Moses was drawn out of the water and placed in the hands of a princess. Moses and Pharaoh were raised together. They spoke seven languages. They were taught all the arts of war. They knew everything there was about delegation, about diplomacy. He was a sharp, sharp puppy. Moses somehow, not sure how, Moses realizes that he's a Jew. And when he realizes he's a Jew, he realizes in the house of Pharaoh, as a Jew, his people are being trashed. So Moses begins to start this campaign to free God's people. And he walks by and he sees a, a Egyptian soldier beating a Jew. He gets angry, puts a chokehold on him, and kills him. And, and, and when he kills him, a little later in the day, he sees two Jews fussing and fighting, and he tries to intervene. And the guy said, you're the, you're, the, you're the pot calling the kettle black. We just saw you murder somebody. Who do you think you are speaking to us in this fashion? Moses got afraid, tried to hide the body, and Moses fled. Forty years in Pharaoh's court thinking he was somebody. And then 40 years in the wilderness realizing 
He was nobody. But in that 40 years, he met a guy by the name of Job. And he saw tenacity. He saw faithfulness. He saw God move. Even though Job had no Bible, Job had no pastor, he had no Christian television, Job survived every attack of the enemy and gave praise and gave honor to God. And God restored what Job had double. Moses sees that, and his faith is built. His faith is encouraged. And one day he's walking, and he sees a bush that is not consumed. First of all, a fire in the desert is unusual. Obviously, there's no cigarettes, there's no cigarette lighters. So if there to be a fire anywhere in the wilderness is a weird thing. Did lightning strike? How did this come to be? He goes to the bush. The bush is not consumed. It burns and burns and burns, kind of like a, probably a, one of those logs in your fireplace that, that, that they, they never burn up. And Moses freaks out and says, "Something, there's something going on here. And God said, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Takes off his shoes. God speaks to him and tells him that he wants to bring the people of bondage into a land of milk and honey. And as Moses is communicating with this God, he's told to throw his rod down. He throws his rod down. It turns into a snake. Throws his rod down. He gets leprosy on his arm. So God shows him that he can work in power and he can work in miracles. But you've got to understand the sorcery of Egypt was so dark. There, were, there was so much evil and there, were, there was so much tied into divination and the things that were satanic that everything that Moses did with the exception of one, lice. The, magi the magicians of Egypt could not produce lice, but they produced everything else. They turned the water into blood. They brought the frogs for it. You read it. Of the ten plagues, nine of them they could perform. And Moses knew, coming from the house of Pharaoh, Moses knew they had satanic power. Moses knew they were of the devil. Moses knew they were evil. And Moses kept asking this, this God he was talking to, whom shall I say sent me? In other words, what is your name? What's the name that we're going to march under? The world has marched under the name of Napoleon. The world has marched in the name of Alexander. Part of the world marched in the name of Heil Hitler. What is, what is your name? And then finally, God tells Moses his name. His name is simply, I am. And something pretty cool about the name I am, that if you were to try to say the name I am, it's kind of like a, um, a uh, uh, where's, our karate? where's our karate people? Who, who studied karate? Let me see your hand. And when you go to deliver a punch, you do, what is it called? A ki? What's it called? Huah! Right? Is that kind of how it goes? Okay, everybody help me. Huah! It's pretty weak. The name of God, the tetragram of God, if you were trying to pronounce it, it was Hiya! Isn't that pretty cool? You ha it has to come from your, it has to come from inside. You can't, you just can't say Hiya and be effective. You have to say Hiya! Help, help me with it. Go ahead. Say Hiya, if you will. And so the word Hiya means I am. Well, Moses said, what do you mean? I am. And, and, and God said, I am. I am that I am. Whatever you need, I will be. Wherever you go, I'll be with you. Whatever attack you're under, I will defend you. So all of a sudden, Moses, whose name means drawn out, which means incomplete, all of a sudden meets this God that says, I am. And what God was telling Moses was, I am. And this is for somebody today. I am the center of everything. I am running the show. I am the same every day, forever. I am the owner of everything. I am Lord. I am the creator and sustainer of life. I am the Savior. Watch this. I am more than enough. I am inexhaustible and immeasurable. I am God. All of a sudden, that very moment, God all of a sudden begins to grasp whose God is. And when, when Isaiah saw who God was, he saw what he wasn't. When you see what God is, you'll begin to see what you aren't. 
And can I tell you something? God was trying to tell Moses, I am the center of everything. I'm running the show. I own everything. I'm Lord. I'm creator. I'm God. I'm more than enough. And then Moses realized, I am not the center of everything. Look at somebody and say, he's preaching to you. I am not in control. I am not all-powerful. I am not calling the shots. I am not the own river thing. I am not the Lord. Watch this. I'm not running anything. I'm not the head of anything. I'm not in charge of anything. I am not the Savior. I'm not holding it all together. I'm not all-knowing. I am God. And God said, that's okay because I am. Whatever you need, I am. Well, I need help. I am the Lord that will help you. I need hope. I am that blessed hope. What? What? Who could possibly be smart enough to figure this out? God said, I can figure out. I need what works. God said, I'll put it together. I need what lasts. God said, I'm forever. What? I need what is the latest thing. God said, no, all you need is me. I need a fresh start. You can't start over, but you can start again. Look at someone and say, praise God. I need a bigger story. You start need to live in your life for the glory of God. My vision is bigger than my resources. God said, if it's my will, it's my bill. That's for somebody in this house. Nothing's real anymore. God said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I'm not sure of who I am. I'll let you know who you, who you are. You're the altogether lovely. You're the bread of life. You're the day star. You're the morning song. You're the first and last. All that I am, I placed in you that you might be. Does that excite anybody? You guys are a quiet crowd today. I can't hold on. I'll help you hold on. My marriage is sinking. I don't know where to turn. Turn to me. I'm not sure why I'm here. I've got a destiny purpose for you. I, I If I fail, who will get the job done? You're not going to fail. Fall, fall down seven times, get back eight. We're going to see this thing through. Who is God talking to today? I'm tired. God said, I'll give you rest. I quit. God said, you can't quit because I've got purpose and destiny in your life. How cool is that? When we think about this God that we serve, we think about our creativeness and our humor and everything that we are, God has put that in our DNA. And I think what is so cool is, is um, not just sharing tattoos. If you're ever around somebody that has a, I don't know who was with me a couple of days ago, and I was behind a girl in, this, in, this, in the BP store over here. And she had like Chinese, like double Chinese writing things, one on the left shoulder blade, one on the right shoulder blade. And then she had a tank top and this, and the tank top came down like this and went like this. And I just said, hey, I like your ink. She goes, oh, do you? And she reaches back behind. Who, who is with me that happened? I said, whoa, 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 whoa. She lifts up her back and she wants to show me that, that, that the ink, they both, they both kind of. They kind of, well, have you ever been, ever been to the emergency room or to the hospital and you start talking about your surgeries? Do you ever notice somebody can always out-talk you? I mean, if, if, you know, if you got your leg cut off, you know, they got their whole head. I mean, it's always like, there's always, and so, and so, and I don't, I don't know if you've ever sat down and ever thought about the scars that you've accumulated in life. And for the fun of it, I, I just kind of did an inventory and I have eight scars on my body. When I was four years old, You've heard the cliche, someone dropped you on your head when you were a baby. Somewhere in Bakersfield, California, my dad was preaching revival, and I was just, I was just probably a three or four, and I was being handed around all the youth, and they, someone claimed that I got dropped. I'm not sure what happened to me, but I had double hernia. I had, uh, I had at, at the age of four, I spent the night in the hospital. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I begged my parents not to leave. In those days, uh, parents couldn't stay in the hospital, and I was, I was freaking out. It was a... It was a it was a weird experience, and then I remember somewhere around the age of thirteen, 
I had a younger brother. Of course, he's six foot two now, 108. I don't mess with him anymore, but I used to really mess with him. I mean, I taunted him. I made fun of him. I, I, I irritated the dog out of him, and I could always beat him up, and I beat him up every day. And one day, he just got tired of me. I did. I beat him up every day because he just had that face that looked like it wouldn't be beat up. How many can relate? Just like, hey, punch me, punch me, hit me, hit me. Smart aleck. I mean, straight A, should have been an engineer, smart than the average bear. I just, I just beat him up. I, I probably didn't like him. I mean, I'm, I, I'm sorry, but I, I probably didn't like him. I did mean things to him. I won't tell you some things I did to him, but I just mean things to him. When one day he just over it, my, my mom had this little cast iron thing that you took things out of the oven and set it on. And it said like, uh, in God we serve or something about bless this house. Well, my brother took it, sailed it at me and hit me right here. And I had 11 stitches right there and I'm a scar right there. One day I was mowing the lawn. We lived right next door to the church. My dad built the church when I was 12. I'm mowing the lawn. All of a sudden I fall, I fall down. I just, I just fall down. My dad comes running around, shuts the lawnmower off, ran a piece of stucco wire on the, on the outside of my, of my ankle, and it, and it cut, cut me pretty good. So I went and put about seven or eight stitches. Well, the next day I couldn't walk. And I told my dad I couldn't walk. I can't go to school. My dad spanked me. I'm sorry, spanked me and sent me to school. Well, about two o'clock, the nurse calls my dad and says, "Hey, there's something wrong with your kid. He he really can't walk." And so my dad comes and gets me, and that I'd run over a piece of stucco wire about that long, and it went all the way through my ankle like a bullet and stayed in there. And they didn't X-ray it; they just they just sewed me up. So on the inside of my ankle, they cut me and pulled the wire out. Let me tell you something: I milked that for three months. I told my dad, "Dad, you gave me a spake, and I was wounded like a bullet." I mean, I then I had a I had a job. 15 years of age, I was skinned 15 to 20 rabbits on a Saturday in California. Rabbits was a big, a big deal. A lot of people ate rabbits. And one day I wasn't paying attention and I sliced a chunk out of my leg. I never told my parents. I just put band-aids over it. What would have been just a little tiny is now obviously a, obviously a, a, a mark. And then, and then I was, uh, with my, with my aunt and uncle up in the mountains and we were goofing around. My cousin had a mini bike on a bicycle stand. It was a cool five horsepower. It was a, it had stingray handlebars, it had a stingray seat and this big motor. And I'm just, I'm driving it. And it's not one of those pull starts. Got the rope you wrap around, you pull the rope off and the things open. Well, my cousin who weighs like three times more than me, he's always weighed three times more than me. He weighs three times more than me. Now he jumped on the back. We jumped on the back. We fell over. And my leg landed on the flywheel, and all you saw was this meat blood just flying. I got 40-some-odd stitches in this. And then when I was 20, I was 30, Pastor Ron and I had remarried. I was 30. Uh, City of Faith cut me. They cut me from here to here to take out my gallbladder, but to look around and see what was in there causing all the trouble. And then when I was 54, when I was 54, they cut me from here to here and took my calling out. So I got your story beat. You got a story. I got a bigger scar. I got a bigger hello. But you know what? The scars on my body represent life, not death. The lawnmower didn't kill me. The mini bike didn't kill me. The gallbladder didn't kill me. The colon didn't kill me. The scar represents a battle that I survived. I won. I overcame that battle. I defeated that battle. The scar that Courtney has from her neck to her tummy, no, it may, it may not look all that good in a bikini. It may not look all that good in, in a nice dress. But you know what? It's a battle that she won. She didn't die 10 weeks of age. The baby next to her died, but she didn't die. She lived, and she proclaimed the good news today. I'm alive because the power of God intervened for me. The battles of marriage, the battles of war, the battles of finances, those scars represent battles. You did not go under. The enemy did not take you out. You are alive today. You've been to hell and back. You got 
the testimony. I'm a hellbacker. I've been to hell. I've been back. I'm better today than I was yesterday, and I'll be even better tomorrow because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. I am a survivor. I'm a survivor, and all that happens to scars. May I have 15 minutes? Are you sure? Are you sure? When the eagle gets somewhere around the age of 50, something happens to his beak. Many times in life, we think we know it all, and we're so spiritual, we don't have to read or do devotions or study. And when that happens, usually our mouth gets out of order. And usually get very critical, very negative, very presumptuous. This eagle, calcium settles around his beak and infects to such a degree that he can no longer grasp the meat from, a, from an animal. Because he doesn't eat meat, no protein in his body, he loses his strength, he loses energy. His head is bowed, his shoulders slump, and he begins to walk everywhere he goes. After a few weeks of this, of this journey, his companion cannot stand it. Eagles mate for life. She's watching him. He used to be the king of the air. He used to fly into the heavenlies. He used to fly through storms. He, he, was, the, he was the king of the, of, of, of the flock. But now he's walking around everywhere, depressed and discouraged and, and hungry. So she leaps and finds a rabbit or squirrel and grabs it and comes and rips it and lays it at his feet. He can't, he can't eat it, but he can drink the blood. If he puts his face in that blood and drinks that blood, he'll never fly this king top of the sky again. He'll, he'll, never be that, he'll never be that higher eagle again. The rest of his life, he will find its food through its stench. And there are a lot of people today that feed themselves through gossip and rumor. A lot of people, they, they feed on negativity. They feed on, I mean, there could be a thousand things right and one thing wrong, and they will, they will focus on the one wrong thing. Make sure, make sure your glass is always half full, not half empty. Life is all about attitude. Life is all about being a, an encourager and speaking encouragement to others. Listen, you want friends, you got to show yourself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother that will walk with you through every storm of life. But something happens. He looks at that kill, and all of a sudden he remembers, Hank, when he used to be the king of the sky. He remembers when he tried to pick up a kangaroo and fly with it. He remembers when he crashed the ocean and grabbed a salmon and flew it higher than the Delta plane. And he looks at that meat, and he refuses it. And he starts to walk. And sometimes it can take him all day, but he'll walk back to that nest. Because remember, in the shade of that nest is the rock. That rock is where his nest was. That rock is where he learned how to fly. That was the place where he learned to overcome the rattlesnake. That's where he learned how to hunt, how he learned to be the king of the air. Sure enough, he goes back to the rock. The nest may have been burned. Avalanche may have wiped it out. But that rock is still there. Aren't you glad that there is a rock of ages that's cleft for us? Aren't you glad that there's a stone that the builder rejected? Aren't you glad that you are planted on that rock? He walks up to the edge of that rock. He takes that beak that's infected. And he reaches over those feathers that used to glisten with the oil that used to rub against that rock. They're dull. And they're dingy. And they're torn. And they're ripped. 
And he'll take that beak and he'll rip one of those feathers and he'll drop it over the edge. And may remembering the day that mom threw his nest over the rock. May remember the day that he flew to the top of the sky. And then he will take that, that beak and he will rip another feather. He removes all the feathers from his wings, all the feathers from his chest, all the feathers from his side. And then he'll take those talons that are encrusted and infected and he'll begin to rip them against the rock. And he'll knock the, that old skin off and he'll take that beak and he'll knock it against the rock and knock that beak off and there he stands he's no longer a creature of majesty he's no longer a creature the king of the air but when all the covering was removed you can see the scars of battle you can see the wounds that never healed you can see where the condor tried to attack him where the crows flew in to antagonize him and as he stands there on that rock he goes over to that water and he puts his face in that water and begins to drink last week i told you an eagle will not build a nest unless there's a place where bees deposit honey he no longer has a beak he can't rip meat but he walks over that honey supply and he buries his face in that honey and he begins to stand on that rock and he lets the rays that sun begin to heal his body not one day not 10 days not 15 days but somewhere around the 30th day a phenomenon of nature begins to take place as the eagle renews his strength the feathers grow back longer thicker stronger tighter those talons grow back sharper and bigger that beak begins to return he doesn't go anywhere he stays there and on the 40th day Indians live a lifetime waiting for this moment. They got their big telescope. They got their binoculars. That eagle will walk up to the edge of that rock, and he'll look up at the sun, and he'll make a sound they've never heard an eagle ever make in life. He sings a new song unto the Lord. Then all of a sudden, little tears begin to flow, Jonathan, out of his eyes. They begin to flow down his face. And in that renewal, the oil that used to come from the outside, now underneath each arm, for some reason, a metamorphosis, oil has been deposited inside himself. And he takes that beak, and he begins to dip it in that oil, and he begins to anoint his feathers, he begins to anoint his chest. All of a sudden, his power no longer comes from rubbing up against something, but it comes from the inside. I thank God for the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for the baptism, the power of God, the gifts and miracles that we can operate in. He walks up to the edge of that rock, and as the Indians are watching with their telescopes, he mounts up, and that day, he flies higher and farther. He flies until he's completely out of sight of their powerful telescopes. On that day, he goes farther, higher than he's ever gone before. That's why David, who caught a glimpse of this revelation, said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgiveth all thy iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth so that thy strength is renewed like an eagle. We got any eagles in the building this morning that just need their strength to be renewed, they need to be restored. It's going back to that rock. It's doing some of those first works over. Like the Church of Philadelphia. There are things that you're done, but there's things that you're lacking. Go back to that first love. Go back to that hunger. Go back to that desire. Stop making it all about you and start making it about somebody else. Stop being critical. Things aren't the way that you want them to be or they're not going the way you want them to go. And realize you're where you're at for a reason. God has divinely ordained for you to be where you're at and God will take you to the next level from glory to glory to the place he wants you to be. Can somebody give a hand clap of praise for the Lord? He is a God that's more than enough. These are cool.
Whoa. I can see. I did this just for you this morning about 15 minutes before the service. I want to tell you about the kind of God that I serve. The, con the kind of God that I serve has the ability, Josh, to turn a well into a motel to make accommodations for evangelists. He has the ability to take a 17-year-old boy armed with a drugstore slingshot to kill a 13-foot giant. He has the ability to feed a multitude with five pieces of Wonder Bread. He has the ability to breathe on the womb of a 9-year-old woman to birth a laughter or to breathe on the womb of a 16-year-old woman to birth a Messiah. He has the ability to put a muzzle on a hungry lion to spare a prophet. He has the ability to part the waters of the Red Sea the same way you would part the, 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 the top of a wig. Someone say amen. He has the ability to put an air conditioning unit in a fiery furnace. He has the ability to put a cross on Calvary and rule the world. I'm not done. He can cause an alcoholic to drink Dr. Pepper. He can call a heroin addict to shoot baskets at the local gym. He's a God that will never leave us, never forsake us. He's a God that's more than enough. He's a God that sticketh closer than a brother. Amen. Chris, if you'll come help me. Josh, if you'll come help me as every head is bowed, as every eye is closed. We just agree right now in Jesus' name that those listening by podcast will be fed today and they will pray with us and receive what God has for them. Tattoos are self-inflected. Scars usually come by the product of others. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. When God created us, he knew there would be bumps in the road. He knew there would be car accidents. He knew there would be sporting accidents. He knew that we would be hurt, we would be wounded. He knew that we would go to doctors and hospitals. He also knew that the enemy would try to manipulate our life and keep us hooked on drugs. God knew there'd be seasons in our life where we'd be discouraged. And we would always say the most positive things. The enemy wants to keep you in that pit, in that shadow of insecurity. God knew that we would marry and have kids. God knew that bad things would happen to good people. God knew there would be kids that would wander away from him and go through hell on earth. He knew that. When he put that baby in your womb, he gave you the power to pray. He gave you the power to intercede. Gave you the power to always make a difference in the life of that child. God has called us to great responsibility, and with great power comes great responsibility. He said the same spirit that dwells in Christ, that raised him from the dead, dwells in us. Paul said, what? Do you not realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Everything that Jesus did with the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants us to do. I think so many times we forget who he is and we focus on who we're not. I think sometimes instead of telling our Jesus about our problem, we need to tell our problem about Jesus. Sickness, you cannot stay here. Doubt, you cannot take up residence here. Enemy, you cannot reside here. I belong to Jesus. He went to hell and back for me. 
He bought me with his own blood. He redeemed me and put a robe on my back and a ring on my finger. And there's a new name written down when I get to heaven. I'll be called by that name. Sin, you can't dwell here. I'm dead. I've been to the river. I've been baptized. I've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. I'm a new creature in Christ. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I can forget the things of yesterday. I can press towards the mark of tomorrow. I can grow. I can be discipled. I can lift up my eyes into the hills from which cometh my help. There's a place where all can be sheltered safe in his arms. And he that do on the secret place the most high shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say in the Lord is my refuge, my God, my fortress, and him will I trust. Surely he shall live in the snare of the fountain of noise and pestilence. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. His eye is on the sparrow and his eye is on us. And every hair that falls from our head he sees. Every word we think he knows. He never gave up on me. And he won't give up on you. Father, we thank you for those promises. You're here today and you're not where you need to be with God and you know it. A door is open. I will not embarrass you, bring attention to you, call you down, ask somebody to stand with you. I will not embarrass you. I promise you. i you and the Lord. Pastor Frank, I'm not where I need to be with the Lord right now and I want to draw closer. I want to commit. I want to turn some things over to Him but that's where you have to just put your hand up put it right back down. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. God, you see every hand and every heart. You see every hand and every heart. God, we pray this morning that you would come those hands that were lifted and say, I cast all my care upon you. I lay some things down today at your feet. I brought them with me. I'm not taking them home. You are not done with me. In the valley of Kadesh where every bad thing happened, I lost my song. I disobeyed God. I rose up in rebellion. I didn't believe the report of the Lord. I had a negative report. You said in my valley of Kadesh, you would come and you would shake. And heaven would meet the earth and I'd get caught in the smack. You said you would shake. That word shake says to make pregnant, to, to birth. That the bad stuff in my life, I could go back to my last mistake and throw in the net. And catch a harvest so large, I'd have to have help spending it. You promise those things to me. And in my valley, I call out to you. This valley of dry bones, I call out to you. Can these bones live again? Absolutely. Can I be what you call me to be? Absolutely. What about my mistakes? What about my failures? What about them? He's removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. He's thrown your sins in the sea of forgiveness. He's got a great big sign that says, no fishing. If God chooses not to remember your sins that hurt the body of his son, then why should you? If God said, forget the former things, neither consider the things of old, I will do a new thing. Now shall it spring forth. I'll put a river in your desert. I'll put a road in your wilderness. If God's not holding you accountable for the sins you committed against Christ, then why should you condemn yourself? Why should you judge yourself? And why should you beat yourself up? Day, let the blood of Jesus cover that ugly tattoo, that, that ugly thing that's been posted to your forehead where the enemy calls you a liar or a loser or a drug addict or a failure. God calls you none of those things. God calls you blessed. He calls you the head, not the tail. God, God calls you 
bread. God calls you life. God calls you salt. God puts you as a city set on a hill. Your light should not be hid. That's what God says about you. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind. There are new things God has for you. New places to climb. New things to be. New purpose. New destiny. Let that fall upon us now. In Jesus' name. And you all said. You love the Lord this morning. Are you going to do my